Are you ready for something more, better, or different? Have you been looking for more success in your life? Here is your opportunity. Dr. Young's show, Transformation for Success, will help you discover a future for change with possibility thinking, new vision, and creative solutions to impact a more fulfilling lifestyle. Dr. Barbara is an accomplished leader and change guru who is passionate about helping others to gain the triumphs and successes that lie ahead. She brings you up close and personal with interviews from successful experts, corporate leaders, sports figures, entertainment personalities, coaches, thought leaders, and authors who dared to dream, take risks, and gain success. Now, here is your host, Dr. Barbara Young. Welcome. It's Transformational Tuesday, and this is your host, Dr. Barbara Young. I want to give a big shout-out to all my international, national, and local listeners, and a big welcome to my new listeners. We have an amazing show for you today. You will hear the transformational story of my guest, Mr. Moriba Ja, an American space scientist and aerospace engineer known for his contributions to space situational awareness and space traffic monitoring, whom I call the passionate global evangelist for space traffic. His resume is so incredibly long to share, but I tell you this, Mr. Moriba is currently an associate professor at aerospace engineering and engineering mechanics at the University of Texas in Austin. So stay tuned as you'll want to hear this extraordinary journey and how he has become a global evangelist for space traffic. This is a sobering message you will want to share. We're broadcasting live, and you can listen to us on the Empowerment, Business, and Influences channels. We're also syndicated on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Now you can access the show on your smart home devices. How great is that? Now, let me introduce my guest today, Mr. Moriba Ja. Welcome, Moriba. I am so happy finally to get you on the show. I am delighted and so excited. How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing okay. You know, uh, thank you so much for having me, and uh, it's it's a blessing and an honor. And uh, yeah, I'm just really trying to manage, uh, you know, full full time job, uh, wife three kids, that sort of thing, so uh, I'm sure many other people can relate. Well, you have done so much. Uh, when, I, when I got your resume, and I was so excited to get you on the show, I think you're my, face, my first space scientist on the show, and so this is truly an <laughs> honor <laughs> to have you. And so, uh, I, you know, I was so fascinated by your story, and so um, I want to just have you share a little bit uh, what it was like for you before you developed this deep interest in space. So share just a little bit of your transformational journey because I know um, actually a little bit, I'll just say to the listeners, he was born in San Francisco and his mother was from Port Arthur, France, Haiti, and his father was from Sierra Leone. And so he has had a sort of an international, I would say, experiences growing up and went attended high school a military high school in Venezuela. So share a little bit what happened in Venezuela, and then you graduated. And what did you do then? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So um, so my parents 
uh, got divorced when I was quite young, and uh, I went to Venezuela at the age of six with my with my mother. Uh, she she took me there as a single parent. You can imagine uh, how complex uh, just going from an English speaking country to a Spanish speaking country was. We didn't uh, know the language, and um, it's just very hard. You know, kids can be very harsh with each other. Uh, you oh know, yes. Just go. Yeah, going, 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 kind of in the middle of the year, and just kind of being bullied and these sorts of things. So I'm, I'm no stranger to, to going through those sorts of experiences. And eventually, my mother met this gentleman from, from Venezuela, remarried, and, uh, you know, as, as other people with a stepfather, um, people might be able to relate. Sometimes you just don't get along so well. And look, I just, I just had, um. I just had a battle with my stepfather and, and, and he won and uh, sent me to a military school, boarding school for high school. And uh, just the amount of hazing uh, that took place, mm-hmm. you know, in the school. And, and I'm the first American uh, that uh, that they led into this place because it's really for, for Venezuelan citizens. And um, people just wanted to make an example out of me. And, and people uh, explicitly said, you know, no Americans ever graduated from this school. No, no American ever will. And so 250 of us entered uh, together and uh, 41 of us graduated and I graduated second in my class. And um, wow, I can say that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I can say that um, part of the, part of the hazing process is pretty much, um, People tr- just trying to find ways to destroy you as a person, uh, mm-hmm. try to take away anything, anything that you might care for or love. Um, and so I just felt um, in the school very, very, very much complete, like emotionally naked. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I got to the point where, where I believe I, I hit, you know, rock bottom. I um, became very depressed in my junior year in military school. And interestingly enough, interestingly enough, uh, in in this place of of deep depression and pretty much not really caring to to have another day uh, of life, in that place I, I I found something that was extremely um, surprising to me, and I came face to face with what seemed to be an ocean of of love and and and, and compassion and. Um, I'd been through so many traumatic experiences uh, up to that point in my life. It's almost like uh, a place for me to make a profound decision. I could either, I could either react to the world based on these traumatic experiences that I've had, or I could try to use my pain to benefit the lives of other people. And, and that's what I chose to do. So at the age of 16, uh, you know, junior cadet in this boarding school in Venezuela, and I kind of hit rock bottom in many ways, and I just kind of found this ocean of of, of love in that void. Um, you know, I call it the source. Other people may have different names for it, and and so um, it was just it was it was love that I never. I it was so I'm I'm struggling with the words because um, mm-hmm. I can't describe it. You know, and so and so I just got anchored to that and I decided to try to just try to be compassionate, just try to be loving, just try to help others um, in ways that that maybe, you know, I wasn't helped out so much. And, um, you know, after graduating from military school, I wanted to 
continuing the military. I had already become accustomed to military type style life. To be quite frank, I was uh, I was scared. I was I was intimidated by by the uh, by the prospect of being a civilian because I didn't know what being a civilian was. I didn't know what a normal teenage uh, lifestyle was with being able to be at home every day and that sort of stuff and have hot showers like we had using <laughs> cold water in the military school. These sorts of things, right? And so I was just very much used to this hierarchy and this regiment and. Um, I continued that. So I enlisted in the Air Force. I couldn't go into the Venezuelan military and U.S. citizen. So I came back to the U.S. I enlisted in the U.S. military in the Air Force. And the job that I did was as a security policeman guarding nuclear missiles at Malmstrom Air Force Base in Montana. When they told me I was going to Montana, I actually had to look at a map. I had no idea where Montana was. Uh-huh. And uh, it was Yep, quite up, quite up north, and and they call Montana Big Sky Country, uh, and I I think of it as as kind of nothing but sky country, lots of sky. And during my evening shifts guarding nuclear missiles in Montana, the nights were very very dark, and I saw stars I had never seen before in my life. And interestingly enough, not only was I seeing stars that I'd never seen in my life, but I occasionally would see dots of light moving across the sky. And I'm like, what are these things? It's like, uh, clearly not a plane, uh, moving too slow to be a shooting star. And then, you know, doing a little bit of, of research, come to find out these things are human made objects that are orbiting the earth, satellites, pieces of junk, that sort of thing. And so that moment kind of galvanized me in terms of I wanted to understand that more. I wanted to make a positive contribution uh, to society, to, to, to humankind, and perhaps space would be would be that. So, so that that's those were things that kind of led to these kind of transformational moments for me uh, on my current path. That you know, it's a very fascinating story, and thank you so much for sharing, Mariba. Because really, not many people have had that experience, though. But from preparation and pain to find your purpose, and um, you know, it's it's so fascinating because many people uh, don't or do find or may maybe not uh, find their way through their preparation, what I call preparation of pain, um, because they succumb to the negative forces. But we are so, I'm so thankful that that you're here today and making such a contribution. You you embarked, uh, you know, I had an intriguing question too, um, before we get ready to go on break. It was, wh- when did you realize that you were really smart? I mean, because you are smart. When did you realize that? <laughs> Was it in military school or was it prior to that you, that you realized, well, you know, I'm smart? Well, so here's the thing. Um, the answer is going to be, I think, a bit interesting. During military school, I always knew that I uh, was really into, I was into biology. Uh, it mm-hmm. was a time, it was a time, you know, AIDS was a thing. And I, I thought at first that I wanted to be some sort of geneticist to help find the cure to AIDS and that sort of thing. Um, and then I liked physics and sitting in a classroom, actually learning, you know, what, what, what makes, what makes a, you know, when you throw a ball, you know, how, how do you figure out how the ball is going to fall and where it's going to go and all these things? I have to tell you that really, that really 
caused an inner shift for me. And the moment that I could observe things around me and I could figure out stuff and I could predict the outcome of certain physical type of events without somebody telling me what was going to happen, like, wow, I could do that on my own. That was an empowering moment for me. And I think at that point, I wanted everybody to be able to have that experience because it was freedom. It was like, this is something that I have that people can't take away. So I felt empowered by that. Right. Oh, my God. That is an interesting answer to the question, you know, knowing, you know, you were smart. Wow. Well, you know, this has been such an interesting and and fascinating journey that you've had. I've got a lot more questions. Um, You embarked on quite an educational journey um, after you, I guess, you're out of the service. Following that, you you studied aerospace engineering and you went to all these different schools. You, you know, embarked on this inspirational journey. I call it educational and inspirational. And I understand that one of your stories, you were inter- you were inspired by Ron Madler. I guess I'm pronouncing this right, Madler or Madler, uh, to become yeah, an Madler, astro yeah. uh, dyna- dynamicist. I was like, wow. Yeah. Now that's that's really an interesting story. But and I know that you also were or- awarded a, a NASA space grant. So I want to know about all of that when we come back from break. So listeners, stay tuned. We're going to be right back. We're going to take a quick commercial break. And thank you for listening. So stay tuned with my guest, Mr. Mariba Cha. Okay, welcome back to my show today, Mr. Mariba Cha. And we are having a great time sharing his transformational journey and who I call a space, a passionate, rather, global evangelist for space traffic. So, Mariba, we, before we went on break, we were talking about your journey of aerospace engineering, and you were inspired by Ron Madler and awarded a NASA space grant. How did all of that make you feel, and and what happened after that? Yeah, I think I think the interesting thing, right before uh, we go into that, just for context, is that uh-huh. um, I told I I had mentioned that. Uh, when I was 16, I had this kind of trans- transformational moment, all these things. Well, I actually had a second one of those moments once I got out of the service. Um, and it was it was the thing that really got me on this path of space and, and eventually meeting Matt Madler. And um, my own s- supervisors in the military, they thought it was a bad idea that I was going to get out, do my four years of service and leave. And they planted a, a seed in me that unfortunately I let grow. And basically they said, listen, if you ever leave the military, really you're going to go study aerospace engineering. You, you're, you're, you're a cop, right? You're, for, for, you're a cop. Cops don't do that. Cops do security stuff. You know, you're not an aerospace engineer. And if you try to do this, you know, you're, you're never going to amount to anything and all these things. So um, I decided to not listen to that. And try to sort this out. And I want to say that right before I started at Embry-Riddle, Aeronautical University, right before I started there, um, I got out of the service. I had lots of debt as a teenager that hadn't really been uh, taught how to manage my own finances and these sorts of things, right? Credit cards, all this stuff. And look, I worked two jobs. I worked two jobs every day except for Sunday. And I wasn't able to make ends meet out of the military. And it got to the point where I didn't even have enough money for food 
and I actually ate out of a dumpster for months. And um, in this space, I hit my second rock bottom, and the words that echoed in my mind were, let no one man's opinion become your reality. And I had realized that these seeds that I heard from people, I had allowed those to germinate in me and dictate where I was going. So I decided no, and I'm going to do this aerospace engineering thing and all that. And well, um, wow. I have to say it was very, it was, it was very hard. It was extremely difficult. Um, I started already older than the other students because most of the students came straight out of high school. I had done my years in the military and all that. And so I already felt disadvantaged. I wasn't understanding things as quickly as other kids did, young, younger. You had brought up the whole, how'd you know, you know, when you were smart and whatnot. I felt very stupid. So it's almost like the world telling me, you know what? You thought that you could do this and this is really not for you. And there are all these signals all the time that were trying to take me off of this path. But again, I, I, I was resolute. I said, I'm going to try to be the best version of myself. I found this guy, Ron Madler at uh, Embry-Riddle who mm -hmm. was one of the people that believed in me. And look, he said, you absolutely can do this. I believe in you, but you have to kind of, you know, believe in yourself. And he inspired me. He inspired me to follow in his footsteps of trying to understand how things move in space and all these things. And, uh, and that's exactly what I did. You know, I was able to muster the strength to get through the program and get into graduate school. And, and yeah, eventually this thing led to this NASA uh, space grant that I was able to work on 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 uh, on research on how to send stuff to the moon and 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 from the moon back to Earth and that sort of stuff and we published the paper um, back in 1999 and that was that paper that we published. Here's the thing, right? It's like everything's connected. That's the one message that I want people to to, to understand is that the universe is like one fabric. And and case in point is this paper uh, that I was able to 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 get. Um, I presented it at a conference, and in the front row at the conference was the person who was going to be my future advisor in graduate school. And, and he was so impressed with the work that I did that he said, you know what, I want you to be one of my graduate students at the University of Colorado at Boulder. And so that's how all that happened. And so these connections just, um, they're not random. It, it, it's all one fabric, really. And they're all perfectly designed, and, and I know the listeners have benefited because already uh, you have stated some strategies because for those out there who are still sort of wandering and maybe someone has let their words dictate their journey, uh, which I love that quote, let no man's words dictate your journey, um, but to be resolute. And, and the most important thing you said, believe in yourself. But I truly, truly thank you for sharing that because we're going through a time now where there's a complete uh, I would. I don't like the word overhaul, but because we're going through this global challenging time, not only, uh, I mean, it's global. It's just not in one particular isolated area. So I know that there are people who are grappling out there for looking for help and looking sometimes maybe in the wrong places and feeling like maybe this is the time for me to just check out of here, as you did the thought at one time. So I want to thank you for sharing that because truly, um, you are a remarkable man. Now, one of the things that we had talked about and uh, when I got a chance to talk with you earlier uh, about space junk and what you discovered uh, out there in the universe just blew me away. So will you share with the listeners, um, uh, if I can just segue into that, 
your your space uh, explorations, I should say, are from looking at satellites and observing them. Could you just share a little bit with the listeners of what you have discovered? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, one of my one of my dream jobs uh, was to work for NASA, specifically for the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and I was I was really uh, wanting to do stuff on Mars. It was I remember that um, that NASA had sent the Sojourner rover to Mars, and uh, you know all the uh, emotions mm. wrapped in that. And I said that that's kind of the thing that I want to do, and. Um, you know, but I, I graduated from, from University of Colorado. I was able to get that job at NASA doing exactly wow. what I wanted to do. Dream dream job sending satellites to Mars. And so I did a handful of those things, rovers and that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, somewhere around 2004 or so, I went to a conference uh, on Maui with my wife and child at the time. And uh, they fell in love with the island. And they said, you know, NASA's all good, but we want to live on Maui, and uh, NASA's not here on Maui. So I actually left my job at NASA because uh, I wanted to do what was in the best interest of my family, and uh, I found a job on Maui working for the Air Force Research Laboratory. And, uh, you know, AFRL, they have some telescopes on top of Mount Haleakala, and all of a sudden I went from tracking and sending things to Mars to focused on things orbiting the Earth and what amazed me was that there is this database of about over 20,000 objects that were sent to space originally by humans that are orbiting 20, the Earth. 20,000? 20,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Upward of 20,000 stuff just orbiting the Earth. Uh, you know, things, things as small as a cell phone and as large as a space station in different orbits. And I had no idea that uh, there was this much stuff up there. But here's the thing, right? Out of mm -hmm. these, you know, more than 20,000 things, only a, only a couple thousand of these things work and everything else is, is dead. It's trash. So it's like, it's like what? So, so what's happening to these things? Why is all, all this garbage up there? And it turns out that most of the stuff that we send up in space never comes back. It's like uh, plastics in the ocean kind of thing. It's It's... it's and we don't just put stuff anywhere. Uh, we, we, we use gravity in interesting ways. And so we actually have things like orbital highways, like shipping lanes in space. So we, so we put stuff there, and when it dies, it just keeps on going. And, and most of it doesn't come back. And so the orbital highways, uh, the orbital shipping lanes, as they were, are becoming more and more packed because as soon as the satellite dies and stays there, we just launch something else up and then launch something else kind of thing. And um, and there's no there's no uh there's no highway cleaning crew. So that's you know, there's no highway cleaning crew and there are no traffic laws in space. So you just launch up there and just it's like the wild west up there. And uh it's scary and uh we're polluting we're polluting our orbital ecosystem more and more because the technologies that we use every day, like position, navigation, timing, banking, television, communication, a lot of the stuff you know, it's space-based uh, services that provide that these days more and more. And, um, and nothing is protecting these from harm, from, you know, hitting the wrong thing at the wrong time. And all of a sudden, well, that's something that uh, we, we can no longer use. So it, it's, um, it's daunting. And I, I think 
what really is surprising to me is how much the world is unaware uh, of this next kind of tragedy of the commons. Well, I think, uh, I mean, there are no guidelines. There are no, I mean, because you've got all these different countries that have these satellites. There's no agreement among the nations about any, you know, guidelines that we would adhere to. Nothing. Well, so here's the thing. So there's this thing called the Outer Space Treaty that's back from okay. like 1967, right? That says mm-hmm. in some general terms, these, you know, go ahead. No, I'm just thinking the 1967, there was that Outer Space Treaty, but <laughs> nothing since then? <laughs> no. So, 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 no. So that's pretty much the, the, uh, basically, you know, the, the Magna Carta for like space law is pretty much this, uh, Outer Space Treaty of 67. Since then, the United Nations has an Office of Outer Space Affairs in Vienna, which uh, has a Committee on Peaceful Uses of Outer Space. And just last year, uh, by consensus, 90, 93 countries, I believe, signed to these guidelines for long-term sustainability of the space environment. But their suggestions, their recommendations, and I have to say, most of our problems with debris are the fact that people are just not complying with these guidelines because, you know, they're not, they, they, they can't be enforced unless they're laws and, 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 and they're not laws yet. And so it's, uh, it's complicated. Now, on the other end, when these satellites are launched, they don't, uh, I guess there's nothing that is created that allows them, once they die out, to be pulled back out of space. There's nothing to right. You know, that doesn't exactly. even make sense. Well, yeah, so, that's just so me. Thing, I'm, yeah. I'm a commoner to this. I don't, you know, this is all new to me. So it's like it doesn't make common sense that you send something up and you have no way of retrieving it if it dies, because they do know that it will die in time. Well, right. And so I think, uh, to be honest with you, uh, when we first started this sort of satellite stuff back with, uh, you know, Sputnik back in the late 50s. Mm-hmm. I think in general, people just have this idea that, you know what, space is big. What's one small satellite with all this volume of space, right? And so I think that's been a general mentality. I mean, look, people have thought that way about the oceans, right? We can just dump stuff in the oceans because the oceans are big. Ah, everything's connected, right? It's that butterfly effect. It's one fabric. It's, you know, you pollute over here, eventually it'll spread everywhere. And so the space is big thing, that doesn't really work out long term because again, we just keep on putting more and more stuff up there. So so we've got to do something different. I mean, that's for sure. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, we hear, uh, and in fact, as I'm on the show not too long ago, we talked about emotional clutter, spiritual clutter, physical clutter, personal clutter, but we're talking now about space clutter. But with all of these things that we talked about, spiritual, emotional clutter, and physical there are ways, there are things that you can work to rid yourself of this and become whole. Um, but because we, you know, we use that word clutter. So now this to me is like space clutter. How difficult, I mean, has it been for you to share your message and to get something going to for people to listen to you? Yeah, it, it's been pretty complicated because... Um, you know, within my own space community, it's kind of the echo chamber, or or as I call it, the self-licking ice cream cone, right? Space 
space people love space people and we're all, you know, that sort of thing. And um, the message really doesn't get out of that too much. And I'll say that a lot of people in space, they kind of feel that, you know, they kind of feel like they're, they're better than other people because they're involved in space and space is the space is only for really smart mm. people or for really rich people. And I want to, I want to, I want to get rid of that. Uh, I want to normalize it. I want to, I want to tell people, listen, um, you know, uh, as, as much as astronauts might be cool, uh, they don't need to be worshipped uh, because they're mm-hmm. just people. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, we, 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 we don't, we don't worship people uh, on boats captains we don't worship uh pilots and, and planes at least we don't anymore so we should stop we should stop the worshiping and 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 idolatry of space related stuff and just accept that space is just another domain of human activity it's an extension of humanity and and uh it's it's the heritage of all humankind we should all participate in how to use it and how to be custodians and stewards of this stuff and it wasn't until my ted talk last year that I realized how few people I was actually being able to reach. I mean, my TED talk has over you know 1.7 million views, and uh, I've never spoken to or reached that many folks just within the space community by itself. So it it told me that I needed to try to expose myself in different fora that was just mm-hmm. that had nothing to do with like typical space people, you know. Well, I'm glad you're on the show today because, uh, like I said, you're my first space scientist on the show to talk about something other than, you know, uh, some of the things that we do talk about, about personal transformation. We talk about business entrepreneurs, how they can become better speakers, how they can, and coaches, because there's so many people and so many things that are happening today. But one of the things, right. too, that uh, is, is challenging, and I, I know you probably can't answer this either, but at least we can talk about it. Uh, but we got to take a quick break, and we're going to be right back. Listen, stay tuned because we've got some more challenging questions that are going to come up for Mariba Jaw. So hang on, we'll be right back. Thank you for listening. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Do you wish you could avoid having difficult conversations with your kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe? Do you struggle with what and how much to say? You're not alone. Tune into Holistic Sex Ed Radio with host Robin LaCrosse for a fresh new perspective on sex education that goes beyond the birds and the bees. We gather together every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for conversations designed to improve your relationships, expand your knowledge, and give you the tools to help your kids make the most out of their lives. Are you satisfied with your life? Do you know more should be possible? Listen to the Access Consciousness radio show with Dr. Andrew Gardella. Our program offers pragmatic tools to change things in your life that you haven't been able to change until now. What if all of life could come to you with ease, joy, and glory? Tune into Access Consciousness radio show, Thursday, 2 p.m. Pacific time on Voice America Empowerment. Welcome to the world. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. 
Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Well, hello there, and welcome back to my guest today, Mr. Moriba Jaw. I love his name, and I had to learn how to pronounce it. And so, Moriba, I am so happy you're on the show today, and we're discussing some really interesting information about space satellites, space junk, or space debris, whatever we want to call it. And you're being a voice, uh, almost like John the Baptist, I would say, out of the Bible, a voice in the wilderness. But you're not alone. There are others who are with you who are joining in to uh, to help you, as I understand. But what I wanted to share, uh, or a question, and we talk, talk a little bit about, is that we're going through some challenging and troubling times right now, and so people that we're going through globally. So how does decluttering of the space satellites come into play, and, 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 and does it come into play? Because we're looking at, and I think people are focused on the COVID-19, they're, they're focusing on uh, the social unrest that's occurring, uh, and so there's racial tensions, there's all kinds of distractors, so that when you start talking about decluttering of space satellites, what are some of the things or steps that we can integrate that into the conversations? That if we're not aware, what can this do that would cripple not only the United States, but other countries if a satellite hits something out there that, you know, destroyed our, our Internet? I just, Absolutely. I just pose that so, to you. <clears throat> yeah, 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 no, that, that, that excellent question. And, um, you know, here's, here's, um, you know, here's some examples, right? I mean, more and more of the capabilities that we use every day are handled by satellites. For sure, most of anything that requires knowledge of position, location uh, with cell phones, right? You know, we all have uh, that blue dot on our cell phones that tells us where we're at versus where we want to go. Um, for banking transactions, you know, all these transactions occur yes, at specific yes. times. You got you got to keep accurate count. You know, when, when did oh, you know, this stock traded at when and and who bought it and at what time? So time, time is a fundamental requirement to understand events, and those are you know economical and, and all sorts. And um, the basis of time that uh, is used by by and large around the globe all comes from satellites these days. Okay, Sat- satellites have become the world's uh, you know new clocks, and and in fact. The globe positioning system satellites have atomic clocks on board uh, each one of those satellites. And so, so now satellites have become the world's clocks. Um, satellites 
also have different types of sensors that can give us warnings about uh, hurricanes and, 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 and other sort of inclement weather that could um, you know, be detrimental uh, to, to humans. Um, agriculture these days is relying more and more on satellites to figure out, oh, well, what's under the soil and where, where's the best place for me to grow these crops and that sort of stuff. Satellites help with disaster relief and how to guide different teams to different places and even maybe predict when certain disasters might come to know how to best prepare for those and, and make sure that uh, maybe you change the landscape or the way you route water to make sure that different flooding zones don't, you know, uh, aren't uh, dangerous to people. So anyway, there's all sorts of ways uh, that we have technology these days that are basically going or run by exclusively by satellites. And there's no, sh there's no shield. It's not like, you know, Star Wars or Star Trek where you, oh, shields up, you know, sh you know, mm -hmm. Scotty, you know, shields up or whatever. It's like, we don't have that stuff for satellites. So these satellites are vulnerable to even things as small as a speck of paint. Something as small as a speck of paint that's traveling at several times the speed of a bullet uh, hits this thing in the wrong place at the wrong time, and it could render it useless. And, and the thing is, we can't track things that small. We can only see things uh, you know, with radars and telescopes, maybe as small as a good, good mug of coffee. But the, small, the really small stuff, it's like random bullets up there. And we just hope, we just hope that it doesn't hit one of these things that uh, we're counting on for, uh, for all the different services that I spoke about. So the truth is, you know, if, if we do nothing, you know, even the information that we use to understand where COVID is and all that, a lot of that stuff is routed through space services. Um, imagine if we, 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 basically we'd be set back decades, uh, you know, technologically, for sure. We'd be, we'd be knocked back to like before 1950 if we lost some of these capabilities. Now, Mariba, you, you've described of us very, very clearly for me, and I, and I hope the listeners do that. Yes, we have, we have problems. I, li I hate the word problems. I use the word challenge. We have challenges. Uh, and the reason why I like the word challenge is because you can always overcome <laughs> problems seem to stay around. Right. So what, how can we as a nation, our nations, our people, what can we do to overcome that we know we have a problem and our challenge and it's growing. It's not something that's going to go away. So what are the some of the answers? Yeah, so so the the thing that I think is uh of prime importance is really pushing towards having inclusive dialogues. And what I mean by that is this, right? A lot of people mm -hmm. say, yeah, well what can I do about this stuff? You know, I'm not I'm not a space scientist, I'm not a this, I'm not mm -hmm. a that. What, one of the things that I'm trying to, you know, um, get people to understand is that, you know, near-Earth space, is, it's a finite resource for all the reasons I mentioned. Um, mm -hmm. and, and as such, you know, all of us, all, all of us have, uh, um, you know, the need to, to be stewards of this stuff, and we should be demanding this, you know, of the people that we elect and put in the office. You know, right okay. now... Yeah, right now we can see that they're launching satellites, you know, 60 satellites plus every few weeks. I don't know. I mean, did they ask you uh, if, if, you know, if they could launch those things? Did they ask me? No. So the thing is, we're not having an inclusive dialogue about stuff in space. I can tell you this, right? 
even for for indigenous people, you know, they they look to the skies to figure out uh, when when are the when when is it time to go hunting for certain things or when's the right season for you know these are all cues that come from when stars come up and that sort of thing. I can tell you that having seen what dark skies are like, now these things are cluttered with all these pieces of junk and all this other stuff. It changes the it changes our sky. You know, the sky that we look at today isn't the same sky that our ancestors hundreds of years ago looked at. Like that fundamentally is different. And nobody asked us if that was okay. So, 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 so this, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just I'm not cutting you off. But one of the solutions you're saying is having inclusive dialogues. Who are those dialogues uh, with? Yeah, uh, so, I mean, so, because, the, so, yeah, so mm-hmm. these dialogues are with local government uh, officials. These dialogues are with people that are in Washington, D.C. These dialogues Mm -hmm. are with, yeah, with with, with people of all walks of life saying, you know, yes, I I like having my cell phone and I like the technology, but I want to understand what are the consequences of me having this technology. Like, talk about that. What are the consequences of it being easier for me to get money out of my ATM because this thing's going through space? So basically forcing people to, to fully disclose the pros and cons mm-hmm. of the technological decisions that we're making. And it's like if somebody's trying to t- tell you, oh, here's a technology, it's going to make this cheaper for you, you know, ask the question. Yes, this is going to save you know, it, me it, money. It appears, yeah, that, it appears to me, Mariba, that, and this is all very good, and I love it about having inclusive dialogues, but it, it appears this is only my opinion, and you know, on, on this show, I tell people my opinions are mine to own and share, and you may disagree or you may agree. That's okay. But it seems that we seem to always operate in a reactive mode rather than the preventive mode. So it's not until a satellite hits something that impairs or you know, you know, sabotages something that we're engaged in in this country or maybe in other countries that people will take action. I mean, I hate saying that, but it's almost like we are reactive more than proactive. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can have more dialogue about space satellites. And that's why I want you on the show today, because I, when I met you and talked about this, I have been telling people, are you aware that we have 20,000 satellites orbiting around there? And we see all these space movies, and, you know, we'll probably be seeing more of them since they're a little safer to make. <clears throat> they were not so controversial. <laughs> and so we see all of these, you know, the invasions of this. But we may have our own invasions just by the satellites that are there. So I want to thank you for sharing that. And not saying that I'm pessimistic, but I do know that it seems that people don't do anything until there's actually a disaster. You know, it happens. I mean, there's there's a lot of dialogue about things that on preventive sides rather than reactive sides. So what do you, what do you think of this? That I yeah, have so- you, and um, I'm going to invite you and a couple of your colleagues, where we'll have a dialogue in the, in the next show, sort of a follow up of this. So this just doesn't become an isolated interview. It's a transformational journey, and you have done absolutely incredible with your life and turning it around. I'd like to have a conversation, and I'm sure the listeners would too, to have a little more, um, you know, dialogue about 
where do we go? And then we start some sort of inclusive dialogues, even though it's at the local level with people hearing about it. And I, and I did want to ask this question. Have you talked to, and I know you went to Geneva, you spoke before the UN, you also met with one of our former presidents, and you really didn't get that much response to, to this issue. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I, I spoke to, uh, to um, you know, Vice President Gore in, in, uh, in, in April of last year, uh, given his, you know, involvement in, in climate uh, uh, type mm-hmm. stuff, and it was... You know, he, he recognizes that debris is, is, is a thing, but at the same time, it's like, well, you know, I'm focused more on, you know, oceans, atmospheres, and climates, and, uh, you know, mm. space is kind of big. And it's like, well, that's just not the right, the space is kind of big just isn't the right mentality uh, 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 to this. And again, it's an environment that needs protection. Uh, and, and, um, and yeah, I've gone to, to Geneva to talk about this stuff, to Vienna as well. Um, you know, I go all over the world to different countries. Uh, they use me as 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 a you know as an, a consultant subject matter uh-huh. expert to weigh in on this stuff, and so but I think you know uh, to be honest I just see that you know I'm not enough, and I think part of it is you know again space people tend to be very elitist and insular about space, and and they're like oh well we don't we don't talk to these other people because they won't get it, but it's actually you know when <laughs> here's the thing, mm-hmm. the thing that's common to all of us is the sky. Anywhere you go, that's the common, that's the thing that unites us, the sky. And the thing is, the sky just doesn't belong to a select few. The sky doesn't belong to governments. It doesn't belong to companies. It belongs to all of us, but not in the sense of ownership, but in the, st- the sense of stewardship and custodianship. And that's the thing that I want to get across to people is that most people say, well, I'm not an expert, so nobody's asking for my opinion. And that's just, you know, Maybe they're intimidated by by this sort of stuff. And I tell people this, you know, my definition of courage is the following. Courage is the absence of paralysis in the presence of fear. Yes, Courage is the absence of paralysis in the presence of fear. And I'm like, you know what? Yes, it can be intimidating. But don't let other people convince you that you don't have something to say or that your voice is not meaningful just because you don't have three letters behind your name or you're not a NASA astronaut or whatever. It's like, this is, this is our common, common heritage is the, are, are the skies that we look at that. And so it's like, yeah, step up. Let's have some candid conversations. And when people say, I'm going to give you this technology, you know, ask, how's that happening? And if it's coming from anything in space, it's like, at what cost? And what, what measures yeah. are people taking, right, to, to keep it sustainable? Well, I think, you know, again, um, Mariva, I'm so happy that you're on the show today. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden I see you as this voice out of the wilderness saying, folks, listen up. The time is coming where we're going to have to deal with this whole issue of space jump. You may not see it now. And it may be the uh, millennials or maybe the Gen Zers are going to have to deal with it. But deal with it, they will. And so I know that listeners, you've benefited from hearing and learning the magnitude and effects that can happen with space clutter. And maybe this is your first time hearing about it, that there are 20,000 satellites, because I think many of us go through our day-to-day operations, the business leaders, entrepreneurs, we're all trying to make money. We're trying to actually get through this COVID-19, stay safe, that we're not really thinking about what's happening in space. So, Marie Bajal, I'm so glad that you're here today. 
because somehow I know if this is not addressed, it could prevent us from creating a disaster in the future. So I want to thank you for just sharing your transformational journey and a lot of this vital information on your extraordinary mission to help make us a better world. I want to thank you for that. And I want to wish you much more success and a greater voice, and I know that's going to happen, in our next show. We'll have colleagues of Mr. Jaw who's going to share more in-depth about these issues, and we'll have what we call a little table talk. So, listeners, I want to encourage you. <laughs> yes, you want to say something? I do want to cut you off. Yes. No, no, no. I was just going to say, yeah, I, I, I love it, and and I'm very uh, honored and appreciative of, of of having this opportunity to to not just speak to you, but everybody out there who's listening. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll consider this the uh, the preamble to to a candid conversation that we'll have with some colleagues for sure. Well, I think it's time. The time has come for this conversation to be had. And I, listeners, I encourage you to, to share with your friends. Uh, and it's so encouraging to hear a lot of messages that you gave today, not only about just about space junk, but how to get the junk out of your life. Be resolute, believe in yourself, and let no man's words dictate, dictate your journey. The universe, as he said, is one fabric. It is one fabulous, fabulous universe, and it is absolutely wonderful that we can share the sky throughout the world. We all have the sky. So, Mr. Jaw, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. You have an extraordinary mission, and we're going to help you to help make this world a better place. So, listeners, I want to encourage you, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, there is hope, and together, we can make a difference in this world. So thank you again for taking time from your busy schedule, Mariva, to share with my listeners today. And remember, transformation is one step at a time. And this is Dr. Young signing off until next Tuesday. I'll see you and have a very, very blessed week. We appreciate you joining us for Transformation for Success. Please join your host, Dr. Barbara Young, again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, that's 12 noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Or join us for replays of the show weekly on the Voice America Business Channel and the Voice America Influencers Channel. Until our next show, have an outstanding week.